Before I begin reading, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are baskets in the aisles that are full of Bibles if you'd like to grab one. And if you don't own one, we would be delighted if you kept it as our gift to you. And our passage for today is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40, which in the Bibles in those baskets is the top of the right-hand column on page 487. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's mother and father marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. My name's Anna. I'm going to have to get my tablet out. It's not as heavy as the one Moses used to have, but just wait a minute because my memory's not so good, so I need to see what I'm saying. Well, I'm a prophetess serving in the Temple of Jerusalem, and my family's from the tribe of Asher. Long ago, as one of the 12 tribes of Israel, we were told by Moses that we would be happy and blessed. You know, when I first was married, as a young teenager, I was just that very happy and blessed, married to a wonderful godly man. And although we wanted to have children, it never came about. You know, people talk about that. 
They just couldn't understand. I must have done something really wrong. I couldn't have a baby. And then quite suddenly, seven years after that, my husband died and it was horrible. And I wasn't very happy or blessed. And no one cared for me. What was I to do? So I had a choice to remain in the place of being happy. I found I could serve God in his temple. And it's been wonderful, fulfilling life, being in the centre of God's house, worshipping, serving God, watching and enjoying the blessings given to many parents as they've brought in their new babies along with their offerings, being able to tell them that God's words got so much for them to listen and to feed their children with that I couldn't ever give to mine. And of course, they gave their blessings and offerings by the priests. It's been a wonderful time, but it's been a time of wondering when when was God going to fulfill his word and bring about the birth of his son? Our Messiah, as promised by the prophet Isaiah around 700 years ago, he wrote that a child will be born of a virgin. You know, there was some suspicious rumour going round about a month ago that there was a baby born down in a place called Bethlehem. I'm not sure if it's true, but it came through some shepherds and, and somehow I'm wondering, because God said he would be called Emmanuel, wonderful counsellor, the mighty God. It's wonderful to think about that and that he'll also be the one to bring peace as the Prince of Peace. That's something we've been wanting for so long, so ever since the Romans took over our land. And, you know, just between you and me, a peace that's not going to be tied up into all these laws that the priests have put on us. You know, you've got to watch out for these teachers of the law here in the temple. Like that lead pastor called Luke. You know about him? And some of those other guys called Paul that wander around and try and tell us how to live. Anyway, I've been waiting for this one baby who will bring us true peace. A peace and a hope that will be so much better than what we're told is the way to find peace now. More like the perfect peace that Isaiah also wrote about when he said, God would keep us in perfect peace when our minds are fixed on him. And not all these add-on laws which the temple leaders get so fixated on. And now it's even more exciting because even my old age, you know, at nearly 84 one's very old i've seen the one who was born to be our king just the other day he was brought into the temple with his father and mother joseph and mary with their sacrifice of two turtle doves and as i was walking around i came upon them with one of the old priests simeon who was holding him and praying over this baby named jesus he said he could now depart in peace as he'd seen god's salvation the one that's been prepared for us, God's people, and is the light to reveal God to the nations. He's been sent as a sign from God. I was so excited as I'd really hoped to see this one who has come from God, and now I have. And to hold this baby in my arms, the promised Messiah, is far more than I ever dreamed of. 
this thrill of realizing this hope and knowing from God that, yes, this is our Messiah who has arrived. It's made my waiting so worth it and my weary heart now rejoices. You know, when I think about it all, this baby who will be the one to bring hope to the world, I realize it's also a favor performed for me by God. No, it's far greater than that. As I know that as I've been able through these years to serve Yahweh, I have a dependence on the God who loves to surprise us out of our socks. Not that I'm wearing any. And now he's come in the flesh to be with me. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know that? It's just so exciting. I have to go and tell others. They need to know he's here, living amongst us. Our Messiah, the King, has come. Even though I'm old now, I have a new mission to tell our people that God has sent our Messiah and wants to speak to us again. Thank you, Sylvia. We've met some of the characters from um, the Bible story now over Christmas time, and now you've met Anna, and uh, hopefully that was helpful to sort of get into her mind and imagine um, what it's been like for that first, those first people at that first Christmas. Our series has been called, What If You Were There? What If You Were In The World's Greatest Story? And hopefully that's helped you to get into it. I want to say good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Um, exciting. I personally want to say a huge thank you that, to everyone that's made this year such a wonderful year at Follow. And I particularly want to thank God for all these blessings on us as a church. And I've got to say, I'm really excited about seeing even greater things in 2018 and beyond. Is anyone else excited about that? Four people, that's great. Today I'm talking about expectations, so maybe at the end of the service you'll be more excited. But today I'm the bearer of good news. Who likes good news? Would you like me to share it? Here I go. You ready? Australia has regained the ashes. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news for all people and... We're very excited if you are Australian and you like the cricket, that's good news. If you're Australian and you don't like the cricket, then you're probably not Australian, thus says the Lord. (laughs) But there's lots of Australians celebrating at the moment. They're celebrating the cricket and the win that they've had there. They're celebrating Christmas and the presents they've got. Uh, They're celebrating parties and holidays. And of course, uh, all of us tonight will be celebrating New Year's Eve. But I think as we head into a new year, it's important that we don't just forget what we're celebrating this season and what we've focused on in the last five weeks, particularly at Follow. We are celebrating at Christmas time the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? That Jesus would leave the glory of heaven and come and dwell amongst us in order to die for us, to save us, and to bring us back into relationship with God. And I think it's really imperative that we don't just move on now that Christmas has gone too quickly from that, empower- that powerful truth. It's important to note in today's passage, just after the birth of Jesus, that they hadn't moved on. This is at the 40th day after Jesus' birth. After a child was born in Jewish custom, uh, the woman was considered unclean for seven days, and then they had to stay in their home for another 33. And so on the 40th day, they would make their way to the temple where they would dedicate their firstborn son. And so Mary and Joseph have gone 
to dedicate their son in the temple. And it's here that we meet the two characters that we're focusing on this morning, this righteous and devout man, Simeon, and the prophet Anna. And the center point of today's passage really is found in verses 30 to 32, and it's a declaration of the glorious good news of the gospel. When this righteous man, Simeon, holds baby Jesus in his arms, and he looks at him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says these words. Let me read them to you from Luke chapter 2. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What Simeon is declaring in this moment of history is that he has seen Jesus with his own eyes and that Jesus is the Messiah. They're the one, he's the one that they've been waiting generations for. Not only will he be a great leader of God's people, not only will he take away the sins of the world, through his victorious death and resurrection, but Jesus is the one who opens the possibility for every person throughout history from every tribe and every nation and every tongue to come into relationship with the God who created them and to have the hope of eternal life with him. This is the best, best news the universe has ever heard. It's a powerful moment. And I think this morning we should just pause and consider what that means for us. Christmas lunch is finished, but the gospel is powerful in our lives every day as we remember and consider all that Christ has done for us. At Follow, this is what our whole church is built around. We're centered on Jesus, the good news of the gospel. It's the good news that this community uh, builds its foundation on. We say that our vision is Jesus. And do you know what that tells me? It tells me that from a community such as this should spring incredible joy, amazing hope, unending passion and expectation. And I think of all people on earth, we should be the most optimistic, faith-filled people, supremely joyful and confident of our future in Christ, expectant that good things will happen for those who trust in the Lord. Do you agree with me this morning? It's great news. We should be expectant people. And today in the last week of our Christmas series, I want to talk about expectation. And I think that's really quite appropriate to talk about that on New Year's Eve. It's a time of year, isn't it, where we start to ponder and plan our resolutions, our expectations for the next 12 months. And maybe you started a list of your own. I know that I have. On top of my list is that in 2018, I want to lose weight. And that's written in permanent marker, and it just sort of rolls over every year. But I like a challenge, and so every year there's actually a few more kilos that I need to lose. Uh, maybe you're the same, that you have these resolutions that you don't actually follow through on. But this year, there's some I'm really determined to do. And so I've been thinking about church goals and, um, you know, spiritual goals personally, uh, family goals as well. And I think it's a good time to stop, pause, reassess, and perhaps reset some physical, emotional, and particularly spiritual expectations to work towards in the year to come. Expectation is a wonderful thing, particularly when those expectations are realized, as you saw in the skit for Anna. But it can also be very disappointing when those expectations are not realized. I think there are a lot of people who, in their lives, allow their uh, disappointments, the things that they've gone through, to actually shape their expectation for the future. 
And I think that's a really sad thing. I remember a time in my childhood when my expectations weren't met. It was when I was in my early teenage years and my parents had decided that we were going to go on a family holiday and it was going to be an amazing time away and they chose to go to a place called Achuka on the Murray River. We'd never been there before and so we were really excited. They did a bunch of research and they found the the perfect place to stay. And there was two things that made it the perfect place for, for Dad and I. The first one is that there was a pristine golf course. And every successful uh, family holiday is built around the fact that there's a pristine golf course until you get to the second hole and you think, why on earth am I doing this? This is stuffing up my holiday. But first thing we wanted was a pristine golf course, so we ticked the box. The second thing we were looking for is something that we're not really into, but something that we thought perhaps we could get into, and this could be the start of something new, and that was fishing. And the brochure talked about days of fish-filled fun on the Murray, and so we thought, this is perfect. And so we packed the car and we took off to Echuca and we got there and we unpacked and we kind of settled in and then Dad and I, with our priorities in the right place, headed down to the manager's hut where we were going to ask about renting clubs. And so we walked into this kind of hut which is a little bit underwhelming, not really what we were expecting and we went in and Dad said to the guy, the manager behind the desk, he said, do you hire clubs here? And the guy goes, yeah, over there, mate. And he points over to the corner and leaning up against the wall was a pile of rusty old golf clubs. I think that was the moment where the alarm bells started to ring. We thought maybe this is not exactly what we thought it was going to be. But Dad asked the all-important question, and he said, all righty, where's the golf course? And the guy said, you drove past it on the way in, mate. And Dad said, well, I don't remember that. I I just saw like an old paddock. He said, yep, that's it. (laughs) And it looked like a paddock that was a golf course 10 years ago, but it hadn't been touched for 10 years ago, which is incidentally when they printed the brochure. And so this golf course wasn't what it was going to, we thought it was going to be. There were weeds, it was overgrown. You couldn't even make out where the holes were. And so we didn't bother hiring any of the rusty old clubs and we left a little bit annoyed. But we thought to ourselves, well, at least we've still got fishing. And in the brochure, there were boats we could use. It looked as though the fish literally jumped out of the water into your boat. And we were going to get a huge haul of fish to make up for our lack of golf. And so we got our bathers on and we headed down for the mighty Murray River. And we could walk there, but as soon as we got to the banks of the Murray River, we realised the extent of the drought. And the mighty Murray River had become the muddy Murray River. And the boats that were once docked on the edge of the water were now bogged in the mud about 10 metres short of the water. And so it was a little bit disappointing, but we were determined. So we ended up getting onto a boat and we put our fishing rods out in the water And for hours we sat there, expectantly waiting fish. And we thought we'd get some bites and this is going to be amazing. And guess how many bites we got? Was it five? No, it wasn't five. Was it four? Three? Two? You can see where this countdown's going, can't you? Did we get one bite? Not one single bite. Now, I'm sure that fishing is great fun when you're catching fish. But let me tell you, when you sit there for hours in the blazing sun and you don't get a single bite, it is dead set, boring. And we realised very quickly that this family holiday wasn't going to be what we expected. We set off with great expectations. Uh, Our expectations were up here somewhere. They didn't end up coming to here. They were somewhere below the stage in the negative zone. And it was a complete dud of a family holiday. Now, going away from that, we were quite disappointed. And we could have easily thought, well, From now on, every holiday we go on, it's just going to be a dud. We've had a bad one, 
Um, they're all, nothing's going to work out for us. Nothing's going to meet expectations. Everywhere we go is disappointing. And so we can approach every family holiday from that point on with that kind of attitude. Now, you might think, well, that would be a ridiculous thing to do. And you're right. That would be a ridiculous thing to do because every holiday's different. But how many people, even Christians, approach life like that? They have disappointments in their lives and they allow that disappointment to shape their approach to life going forward. And so maybe they've lost a job or they haven't found a life partner or they've gone through a divorce or perhaps they've lost a loved one, a business has failed. In some way, their expectations weren't met in the past, but what they do is they take those things from the past and then they use those things as a filter that actually ends up determining their future. And it's incredibly sad that people would live their life that way, but many people live their life staying in the pain and disappointment they've suffered in life. Today, we're looking at two extraordinary characters called Simeon and Anna, who are people who had great expectations of the promise of God in their lives. And I want to say today that their expectation was characterized by three main things. And the first thing I want to say is this, that their expectation was shaped by God's word. Simeon and Anna were both advanced in years. They were really old. Simeon was ready to die at any moment, and Anna was 84 years of age. Now, when you're that old in life, there's no doubt that you would have been through some ups in life, and you would have been through many significant downs in life. And we know that's definitely true, at least for the prophet Anna, from the text. It tells us that she lost her husband after seven years. Now, in Jewish customs, many Jewish girls got married at around about the age of 13, And so there's a chance that she lost her husband at 20 years of age. And she's now been a widow for 64 years. 64 years she's been alone with no husband, lonely, disappointed, unfulfilled. I'm sure she would have thought at times that we had our whole life ahead of us and it was taken from us. And I think she could have easily, from this crisis in her life and this great disappointment, spent the rest of her life kind of fretting and really... I guess, doubting God, getting angry at God, allowing those experiences to shape her future. But it's clear that Anna didn't allow that tragedy in her life to shape her expectation of the future. Both her and Simeon allowed their expectation to be shaped by God's word. Simeon and Anna knew the Old Testament well, probably like the back of their hand. They were righteous and devout. And in verse 25, it says, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In verse 38, it says Anna was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And I think verse 26 really sums up what they were both waiting for. They were both waiting for the Messiah to come. And so they were patiently and expectantly waiting for God's Messiah to come. And so from their commitment to and their understanding of God's promises in Scripture, they were people that had great expectation in their lives. Simeon and Anna lived in that time prior to Jesus coming to earth, the the pre-Jesus in the flesh time. But from their understanding of God's word, they patiently and they expectantly waited for Jesus to come. You and I live in a different era. We live in the post-Jesus era where Jesus came, he's gone back to heaven and he's coming back. And so we live between the first coming and the second coming. But in the same way that Simeon and Anna patiently waited, looking at the promises of God's word, you and I, too, in this season, as we wait for Jesus to come back, use the word of God as something that shapes our expectation. 
Because the Bible talks so much about our future in Christ, that Jesus is coming back for his people. There will be a new heavens and earth, that we will live with him in his presence. No more tear, no more mourning, no more sadness, no more evil, no more pain. And we know from God's word and the promises we find here that that's our future. And that's a wonderful thing, that we can stand on the word of God, allowing our expectations to be shaped by his word. And so it shapes our expectations of the future, but God's word also encourages our expectations in the present. And I think as we think about our goals and aims for the next 12 months, they should also be shaped by our understanding of God's word. Dave before read a passage from Proverbs chapter 3 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And so this year, as you're planning for the year to come and you're not sure what God wants you to do, then acknowledge him in all of your ways and trust him with all of your heart and he will make your path straight. And so we can have an expectation that God will do that in our lives. Romans 8 verse 28 is another very encouraging passage, one of my favorites. And it says that we know that in all things, God is working together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So as we plan for next year, no matter what faces us in the next 12 months, we know that we have a God who is working all things together for good for those who love him. And it goes on to say, if God is for us, then who can possibly be against us? And so the word of God should shape an optimistic expectation for the year to come. And so as you plan your new year, I would encourage you to do it with optimistic expectancy, remembering that God is with us, he is for us, he is in us, and he is working in and through our lives for his glory and for our good. And that will change the way you see the year to come. And so I pray that your expectation for 2018 is not shaped by your past, but it's shaped by God's word. The second thing we see in the passage is that their expectation was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it came from an intimacy with God. Now, if you want intimacy in your marriage, if you want intimacy in your friendships, if you want intimacy in your faith, then it actually takes an investment, doesn't it? Intimacy doesn't, intimacy doesn't just happen without an investment. I've been married for almost 18 years. And you probably know this already, but I'm a male. And my wife is a female. And so that means that we are wired very, very differently when it comes to how we think about pretty much everything and my beautiful wife uh, has this habit uh, of having a conversation with one of our daughters and then mid-conversation shifting to a conversation with me with no introduction, no change of tone, no indication whatsoever that I am now a counterpart in this conversation. And then all of a sudden from the kitchen I'll hear these words, you haven't heard a thing I've said, have you? And I always think that's a really strange way to start a sentence. But what I've learned is that women's brains are wired to multitask, even having multi-conversations at once. But I'm a bloke, so I just want one thing at a time, and I'm going to need you to really spell it out, perhaps a couple of times. Maybe even write it down if that helps, because that's just how I'm wired. But over the years, when it comes to my relationship with my wife, I've got a lot better at hearing my wife. And what I've learned through lots of experience now, is that what ladies are saying and thinking are often two very different things. And so their mouth and their brains are multitasking at the same time. And so they say one thing, but often they mean something completely different. And I have learnt uh, with my wife that um, there are times when she is 
saying nothing, but I hear her loud and clear. I just know that she's saying something, even though she's saying absolutely nothing. And how do I know that? I know that because our relationship has grown. I know her so much better now than when I first met her, and our relationship has continually grown. And so I know now, after years, nearly 18 years of marriage, I know what my wife likes and what she doesn't like. I have confidence in her that she will be faithful to her vows, that she will honour God, that she will love our kids. And I know these things because I know her intimately and I know her character because I've spent time in her presence. We have both invested into our marriage relationship. And as we have, I have come to love her more and I now know her better and understand her in ways that I never did before. And you know what? It's the same with God. When it comes to intimacy with God, we need to invest in this relationship. We need to invest in our faith. And I think Simeon and Anna set a great example of this. In verse 25, it says, Simeon was righteous and devout. The word devout means committed um, and dedicated to his relationship with God. And in verse 36, it says there was the prophet Anna, and it says she never left the temple. Just think about that for a moment. She never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. There was an intimacy in their relationship with God. And I think their expectancy was actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how many people were in the temple that day, but I'm pretty sure there would have been dozens of faithful Jewish people there that day who knew God's word. There would have been priests and many educated people that day. When they saw Jesus, I'll tell you what they saw. They saw nothing but a boy, another boy coming into the temple to be dedicated. But Simeon and Anna, from their intimacy with God, heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit that said, this is the one. This boy is the Messiah. Why were they the only ones who saw it? Well, as they invested in their relationship with God, they started to recognize his voice. They started to know when he was speaking to them. Simeon, in particular, had a direct promise. In verse 26, it said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, it doesn't say that anywhere else in the Old Testament. So how did he know that? He didn't know it from God's word. He knew it from God's voice. He heard God's voice. The Holy Spirit spoke directly to him. And so his expectancy for the Messiah came from an intimacy he had with God. Now, sometimes we need it written down plain. Sometimes when Kim goes out, I say, can you write it all down so I don't forget anything? Sometimes we just need it plain. And that's what God's word is. God's written down his word for us, his eternal word. And so we can read it over and over again. We can absorb the promises. We can meditate on his goodness every day of our lives. And we can see it there. It's written for us. It's what makes the word of God so incredibly powerful and life-changing. And so sometimes we need to see it plainly. And that should shape our expectancy for life and for the future. But there are times where God will speak to us in other ways that aren't directly from his word. Now, let me just put a little rider on that. And that is this, that God will never contradict his word. And so if you hear the still, quiet voice that says, strangle your husband, you know that's not God. That's the devil. If you hear a voice that says, today's a beautiful day to rob a bank, you know that's not God. If you hear that voice that says, you should barrack for Essendon Football Club, you know that is not God. Because God says, thou shall not murder. God says, thou shall not steal. And God says, thou shall not barrack for Essendon. We all know that. It's clear in God's word. And so 
Hey? It, it might be the red letters. Yeah, that's right. The black and red letters there. And, um, you know, so there is times when God will speak to us, but it will never contradict his word. But if we are intimate with God, we should expect that he will speak to us by his Holy Spirit. Because I think God's always speaking. It's just that we're not always listening. And so we should have an expectancy as we prepare for a new year that God's going to speak into our hearts. He's going to show us the things that he wants us to do in the next 12 months. And he'll speak in a variety of different ways. It might be through a peace that he puts in our life. It might be a, a quiet, still voice. It might be through circumstances, but God will speak into our life if we are listening to him. You know, when we planted Follow Baptist Church, I didn't read a verse one day that said Luke Williams should plant Follow Baptist Church in July 2015. When I married Jesus, I didn't turn to the book of Chronicles and it said, oh, Luke Williams, there's my name, I haven't seen that before. Luke Williams should marry Kim Mottram. Oh, I better go and find her. Now, I didn't see any of that in God's word, but I heard it from God's voice as I grew in intimacy with him. And as I prayed and seek the Lord, he showed me that they were the right things to do. And I'm sure you've got many experiences in your own life where God has spoken to you in a similar way. Because of their intimacy with God, because they spent time in God's presence, making him a priority in their lives, Simeon and Anna had great expectation and confidence in his promises. Their expectation was shaped by God's word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And finally, it was motivated by the gospel. Sylvia portrayed so well before the excitement of Anna when she saw Jesus. In verse 38, it says that as soon as she saw him, she instantly gave thanks to God. And then what did she do? She started telling everyone about him. She wanted to tell everybody about this child. In verse 27, we see Simeon's response. It says, moved by the Spirit. I love that he was a man that was guided by the Holy Spirit. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I want you to imagine this moment. For a thousand years, the Jews had been waiting for this Messiah. Simeon had received this promise from the Holy Spirit that he would see Jesus with his own eyes before he dies. And right here at the end of his life, he's ready to drop dead. He goes into the temple and he holds this baby and he hears the whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the one that you have been waiting for. This is the Messiah that will take the sins of the world. And I can just imagine the emotion. I can imagine the tears running down his cheeks thinking, wow, this is happening. God, you are so good. You are so faithful to your promises. It'll be like what we'll be like on the day when Jesus returns. And we'll go, wow. The sky rolls back and we go, wow, God, you are so faithful to your promises. For him, it was an incredible moment because the expectation of God's promise was realized for Simeon. Earlier in the chapter, it said that Mary treasured Jesus in her heart. Now Simeon is holding Jesus close to his, thinking my whole life, has been dedicated to this. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what my life has been motivated by. And holding Jesus in his arms, he says, now you can dismiss me in peace because my life goal has been realized. And he declares that Jesus is good news for all people. You know, at Christmas, we remember that Jesus is good news for all people, but we also remember with sadness that not everybody receives this good news. Before I talked about the ashes and I said, tongue in cheek, that it's good news for all people, right? If I was preaching this morning in London, 
the same message, it would be a very different reception. I'd probably be stoned or chased out of the building or something like that. But the, the reality of it is it would still be good news, right? We know that. It would still be good news. It's just that the palms would be too blind to see it. <laughs> it would be good news for them if they received it and said, yes, let's celebrate. But instead, I think they would probably reject it. Do we have any palms here today? One, reluctantly putting their hand up down the back. Thank you, Gemma. Go Aussies. But they would say that it's good news, but it's good news not for all people. It's good news only for Australian people. I think when it comes to the gospel, it's very similar. Same thing applies. It's good news for all people. And there are many people who choose to receive Jesus and to take on this good news that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that he's coming back for his people. But tragically, there are even more people that reject this. Many people say, yeah, yeah, no, it's not for me. I don't need Jesus. There's no room for you in my life. And, you know, many of those people are friends, family members, people in our community who are heading for eternity separated from God, who the Bible says is love and all things good. It's a tragedy that I think should shape and motivate our hearts going into a new year. What if our expectation was that the gospel is glorious good news for all people? How would that shape the way we pray for our unbelieving partners, our hard-hearted workmates, our friends and family? Because there's not a single heart that Jesus can't change. And so I want to encourage you going into the new year to allow your expectations to be motivated by the gospel because the striking central news of the gospel is that it's good news for all who believe. So today, I want to encourage you on the edge of a new year, not to meander aimlessly forward or be crippled by your past, but to have great expectations of what God can do in your life and in us as a community. I pray that your expectation for 2018 and beyond would be shaped by God's word, building faith and optimism, inspired by his Holy Spirit, that you would take the time to sit down and ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this new year? And that it would be motivated by the gospel with a heart to see people saved and to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, just as we have. And perhaps if all those things happen, maybe 2018 could be the best year of our life yet. And I pray it will be. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this series. As we've considered some of the characters in the Christmas story and how they felt that first Christmas time. But Lord, as we ponder all of that, I thank you that we can remember that we are in the world's greatest story because you first stepped into it yourself. Lord, we thank you for what you did for us in your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection, and your promises for the future. And Lord, as we consider Simeon and Anna today, and as we consider a new year to come, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't allow the past disappointments and failings to cripple us as we look forward to the future, but may we remember your word, and may it shape our lives with an optimism and faith that you are for us. And if you are for us, no one can be against us. Lord, I pray that we would be intimate with you this year coming up, that we would be guided by your Holy Spirit, that we would be inspired by the Spirit of God to live for you. And Lord, I pray also that our expectation would be shaped by the gospel, a heart to see people saved. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.